Hello everyone. Uh, if you're just turning into this after the fact, uh, make sure to check the descriptions for time codes. Uh, or if you're you're on YouTube, obviously, the, check the scrub bar, I guess is what it's called too. Um, they may not be as detailed today, but um, they'll be there nonetheless. Uh, we'll get going in just a little while. I'm going to let folks get notified that we're on and, and have people chime in. So sit tight. Uh, if you're watching this after the fact, you can hang out or you can skip ahead. Uh, like I said, the description has time codes for different things that we talk about. Hey, Bruce. I'll say hi and, and we'll let things get started here. And I'll turn off my streams. It is hot. I know I probably look a little sweaty. <laughs> Hey, PT. Thanks for letting me uh, take over your stream. Hope all is well at HQ. Hot and smoky here in BC. Yeah, Bruce, it's smoky here as well. That's why it's kind of hot. Um, you can see in the cat cam. There is no cat in the room today because they're both downstairs where it's cooler. Um, but I'm trying to like keep it cool in here without letting the smoke in. I let the smoke in overnight because it got relatively cool overnight. Um, oh, Beata says it's hot and smoky down here as well. Yeah, it's that time of year, August. For us in the northern hemisphere where we get fires and smoke everywhere um, but yeah there usually in seattle when it's hot you can just open the windows and get it cool but when the air quality is bad that's no good good afternoon gary z yeah i don't have a like most times, I don't have a huge plan on what we're going to work on. I didn't, like, get stuck into anything before I was there. That was yesterday. Yesterday I was gotten... They're getting the smoke all the way down to New Mexico. Whew. Hot in New York City, too. One of the times I was in New York, it was, like, July. It was very hot. Not smoky at that point, though. So if folks have questions, uh, I'd love to take them because I have no plan. <laughs> I have a plan to go through issues uh, if we don't have anything else to do. Um, I'll wait just a couple more minutes and then do housekeeping and I'll try to take notes. So David is gone. Whew. John Franco says it's 100 plus in California, but it's a dry heat. Yeah, I saw a thing that said we were, I think we were supposed to hit 95, but um, because of all the smoke, they thought it would temper it to more like 90. Um, it is 50% humidity and 89.7 Fahrenheit in here right now. <laughs> it's so hot here, you can air solder without any solder iron. That's, that's intense. Hey, doctor. Hey, Mark. Good afternoon. Everybody's hopping in because it's 2 o'clock. Um, 
my brain's kind of fried. <laughs> it is Friday afternoon, so we'll see what we get done. So ask, ask some questions, and, and this will go by real quick. It'll be great. Um, hi, Jim Hendrickson. Thanks for hopping in the Discord. I, I guess I should say hi to Lamistra007, who's soldering without a soldering iron. Ah. Andy Roberts has a great question. Uh, I'll get into it. That's, I was just thinking about that today, actually. Um, but let me... I'll do housekeeping first, because it's 2 o'clock. I'll do housekeeping, and then we'll get to your question, Andy Roberts. Um, and if folks have questions, feel free to queue them up. I can scroll back and take a look. Um, but first... A time code. Hi, Linux Studio 3. Happy Friday. Alright. Hello, everyone. My name is Scott, and I work on CircuitPython for Adafruit. Adafruit is an open-source hardware and software company based out of New York City. I work remote for them, so I'm in Seattle, uh, which is why uh, I talk about Pacific Time, because that is my time zone. Uh, CircuitPython is a version of Python for embedded uh, microcontrollers. So microcontrollers are really small, inexpensive um, computers that are typically placed on what we call boards. So here's an example. Uh, this is a Metro and the microcontroller is here. Um, they're like tens of megahertz generally. Um, so they're really great, a great way to get uh, started into stuff. So uh, that is... It, if you want to support me, you can support Adafruit by going to adafruit.com, purchasing hardware there. Um, the chip shortage is hitting us a bit, so uh, if things are in stock that you're interested in, please snag them. Uh, we can't make any promises about when things will be in stock. Uh, and that's why we don't take back orders either, because we don't, we don't want people to have like their hopes up if we don't know when things are going to be available. Um, if you want to chat with me and a lot of other folks, you can check out the Discord server by going to the URL adafru.it slash Discord. Um, that's where one of these chats, this lower middle one, is coming from, the live broadcast channel there. Um, this is a deep dive that happens every week, uh, normally Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, which is now, so this time every week. Um, occasionally we shift it to Thursday if we're doing something on Friday, but uh, that's not been true for a little while. We, we were skiing in the winter and taking Fridays off for that, but I uh, haven't recently. Um, they go for two hours or more. We'll probably hit the two-hour mark today. Um, and we got some questions here, so that's great. I'm going to uh, go through those, and that's where we'll start. Questions are welcome, especially today. It's going to be super casual. Uh, if we run out of questions, what I'll do is I'll just take a look at issues and see if there's anything I can do real quick. Um, that's my plan. I don't have to talk about the cat because the cat is not in here, so... Um, sorry, the cat cam is going to be uh, Shredder cam. <laughs> Shredder cam today. Uh, anyway, okay, so that is that. And let me take another time code and we'll answer Andy Roberts' question. And I think I might have missed one on live. Uh, let me say hello to folks first, though. Um, I think that Keithy E, hello, Nether Kid is new. Um, and Dexter Sarbert. Hello, folks. Thanks for hopping in. Um, okay, time code time. Um, the question is, what is the status uh, or strategy slash plan of an RTOS or real-time executive? 
So I assume this is the talking about um, putting an RTOS underneath CircuitPython. Um, for those of folks who don't know, uh, an RTOS is a real-time operating system, and there tends to be kind of much smaller than what you would think of like Windows or Linux. Uh, but their goal is to execute stuff kind of at very detailed time scales. So if you have a thing that you want to happen every tenth of a second, you are guaranteed or, or strongly guaranteed that it will happen every tenth of a second. Uh, so that's kind of what an RT RTOS is, and they tend to run on microcontrollers because the kind of first uses of microcontrollers were all about um, timing sensitive tasks. Um, a computer like a Linux computer is like not as great for timing sensitive stuff, so it, it would talk to a microcontroller to do that. Um, we do have real-time operating systems underneath CircuitPython if the vendor uses that. So um, we have one for ESPs, which is the uh, free RTOS is used by the ESP IDF. So we do run within that. And then um, the NRF port also has uh, what is known as a soft device, which is kind of like a little bit of a hybrid. Um, there's not necessarily a full RTOS, but it does have like some timing constraints that it manages on its own. Um, I This is something I think I would like to do at some point. And, but the problem is, is that like one of the more popular ones right now is called Zephyr. And it's just a monster of a project. Um, oh, and I, Chanid from Switzerland, hot here tonight uh, on Twitch, said hello as well. Um, yeah, so I think uh, the challenge with uh, the challenge with an RTOS is that some of the more popular ones are uh, really big, and and in integrating two big projects can be really, uh, really tricky. Um, so I would go towards more like a, ideally a smaller real-time operating system um, in or order to just give us that like kernel of like the tools for concurrency. Um, in CircuitPython right now, we kind of fake concurrency with our notion of background tasks. Uh, but really like we are kind of running up against the, uh, how helpful that is. So I don't know. I think um, I would love to find a, modern small RTOS to use uh, that's liberally licensed. It's not GPL. Um, one thing I just found is chopsticks, I think. Yeah, I was just looking it up. And you can't see it. I'll switch in just a sec. Um, hi, Andrew Reed. So here, so I just did, I forget what I was looking at. The, that uh, was talking about this, but here's an example. It's a GNU project, so it is GPL3, which I wouldn't necessarily want to integrate because MicroPython and CircuitPython are MIT, um, which are, are lib more liberal licenses. But this is kind of what I was thinking. Like they say, it's it's a real-time thread library for these things. Um, while most RTOSs come with many features, drivers, protocol stacks, Chopsticks just offers a simple real-time thread library. So like kind of that is the way that I would go. But the other thing to consider is that like um, the reason that you need threading is usually protocol stacks and networking. And so that's why we see like free RTOS used on ESP. And then like in Zephyr, we don't need the HAL, like the, the driver side, but like they have 
a Bluetooth stack and they have like IP stacks as well. So I don't know. The update is is like we have no update. <laughs> um, Andy Roberts says, I would like to have something like FreeRTOS so that a proper LoRaWAN stack could be supported, transparent to the user. If you have experience in FreeRTOS, I think if somebody came along and said like, hey, I'd like to run, I would like to use FreeRTOS for CircuitPython and you have the skills, like we, I think we would be open to that. I think part of the challenge is that like, I don't have the, that skill. I don't have that experience with FreeRTOS. And I mean, I got a little bit from the IDF, but um, if somebody who had more experience with an RTOS came along and said, like, here, let me do that for you, like, yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would be open to that. I think we, we would be accepting of it. I just don't think we have necessarily the experience to do it. Okay. First question down. Hopefully that answered it. If you have follow-ups, I'm happy to answer it. I'm going to take another time code since I'm doing time codes myself. Um, John Franco asks, what was the first computer language that you learned and what is your all-time favorite? Um, good question. So I, I learned programming kind of from the web side first. So I, I started in like 2002 and what I wanted was like a dynamic web page. And at the time, the way to do that, or one of the ways to do that was through PHP and MySQL. Um, so I learned I learned HTML first, but I don't consider that a programming language. Uh, and James points out TI Basic anyone. And you know, I, had, I hadn't counted that. I think I learned that after PHP, but I did actually do like a, a game on a TI calculator at one point, and I'm sure it's lost now, which makes me a little sad, but whatever. So I did do that. So PHP is what I consider to be my first language because uh, that's where I learned like if statements and for loops. And I even have, I showed this before, I have the book that I learned from. Um, and then it took about like, I did that and then I did like, I had forgotten about this period. Like there's a two year gap before I started doing Python. And I know this because I had SourceForge projects. Um, so you can actually find these old SourceForge projects that I started with. Um, and we can do that if people are interested. I can pull those up. But um, it was about two years between PHP and Python. And then I, in that period, I did a project called um, uh, Dynamic Flash Forum, which was a flash front end to a PHP MySQL stuff uh, to do like PHP BB style forum software, which, you know, Flash was, Flash was the the thing at that point but it's it's gone now um not really a thing anymore but flash was cool at one point um and then the second part of the question is what is my all-time favorite i think i mean this won't be surprising i think python is my favorite like i don't do large projects with python but python is just always the place to start um and that's really valuable so i think I think Python's my all-time favorite language. It's also great because like it it ramps up really well, which is great too. Um, so no surprise there. I've known like I've done Python since two thousand four, and like it's always kind of been the project that I start with, the project, the the language that I start with, the language that I 
prototype in the language I explore and experiment with, and that's like leaves it ha a, a large place in my heart. Um, all right, let's see. Okay, I didn't miss any Discord questions. Uh, next up, we have one from La Mistra 007. At first, I will take another tango. Um, what are the arguments for switching to CircuitPython versus the usual Arduino IDE and arguments against? Hello, LinkedIn user. Sorry you were late. No problem. For some reason, it's not showing me your name, uh, LinkedIn user. But we'll, we'll call you LinkedIn user, and it'll, it'll be fine. Um, OK, so like I was just saying about Python, uh, CircuitPython has a strength as well as like, CircuitPython, when you're just starting a project, start with CircuitPython for embedded stuff. Um, because Python's strength is that it will tell you really quickly. You'll either complete your project really fast, or you'll figure out what constraints you have within CircuitPython or your hardware. Um, I've heard that like people really like MicroPython, which CircuitPython is based on, because they can like test everything really quickly. Um, so the the argument for CircuitPython is that it's just like way quicker to get started. Um, we kind of like in terms of drivers, I think we're basically have parity now. So like you're not going to have like a driver argument. Um, what you might find though is if you start with CircuitPython and it's just too slow. Um, if it's too slow, the first step is hop on the Discord, show people your code, and there's more often than not ways to change your python code so it is fast enough but there is a chance that uh because python executes more slowly than c which is what arduino is uh, there's a chance that you would have to move to, to arduino after that um, but if you started from arduino from the get-go you get you would um have a larger performance window although the the same programming mistakes you would cause you, you would write in Python to cause it be, to be really slow are totally possible in C as well in Arduino so it doesn't really save you that and the cost to iterate on Arduino is a lot uh, higher so it's like slower to code with Arduino so I say start with CircuitPython it's going to get you going and you're going to figure out a lot about the problems that you're having with what you're trying to do and then if you have to if you if you really need more RAM you need more performance. Arduino is is something that you can go to later. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say. Start with CircuitPython, and of course try it as well. Um, hello, Andrew Reed. Hey, Johnny DeBergdahl. Hey, Michael. Um, hi, James Foe. Um, no waiting for compiling. No needing to install complex drivers. Uh, Foamy guy points out in the chat. For why to use CircuitPython. Doctor says, I haven't done any real Python yet, but really enjoying CircuitPython. So it's important to know that like um, CircuitPython is kind of real Python. Like it I don't think you need to actually caveat it. Um, the core things about a language, like if statements and for loops and classes and functions, all of those are the same. So I think in terms of the like core Python language, you're doing that with CircuitPython. Um, Michael says, with Arduino, you mean C++ instead of Python, right? 
Yeah, I was saying C, but yeah. I think it, I might have mixed that up. Uh, okay, let me look at Discord. Okay, next question. I don't call it Arduino. Uh, this is the last question I think I have queued up, so if folks have more questions, please ask away. Um, I like answering questions. So, uh, John Franco is asking, how many CircuitPython boards have has Adafruit ever made? Do you mean, like, how many individual boards, or how many boards have we designed? Because how many boards we designed... Um, is kind of like you just go to circuitpython.org slash downloads and that'll show you all the designs that we have um i kind of assumed that we have crossed the like a million sold but maybe not um we might be in the hundreds of thousands but i know that we've sold like easily tens of thousands um i don't know the exact numbers but i yeah, I, I would say we're easily over 100,000 boards that run CircuitPython. Um. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead to this question from Doctor. That's what What is my favorite board? Um, I don't have a single favorite because I do different things with it. Um, if I'm developing for CircuitPython, something with a something with a SWD port is a is a must. Um, so yeah okay we have more questions so thank you for those um, <laughs> Gary's got a question here Gary asks, how do we as a hobbyist debug CircuitPython other than a bunch of print statements? So do you mean C code of CircuitPython or Python code in to debug? Because uh, those are two very different things. Um, I, I do a lot of print debugging, so that's kind of where I start. Um, there has been some work in upstream MicroPython to support set trace. Yeah, Gary says Python. So print debugging is, is like I've been doing programming for over 10 years and that's still my go-to. I did listen to a talk from uh, Nina Zakarenko on RealPython about like doing debugging with a debugger. Um, but I think it requires, let's just the desktop again. Like, if we go to MicroPython, I feel like set trace is like the. Somebody told me, like, PDB is basically, like, based on set trace. Um, let's see what the issues are. Add means for accessing locals when MicroPython is built with set trace. So. Yeah, it's early days. There's not really like a, there's not a great answer. And it's largely something that like 
belongs in MicroPython. Of course, we could add it. Um, but there's, like, print statements are just incredibly useful, in my opinion. And the reason that I, the other reason I like print debugging is it's kind of universal. Like, regardless of what programming language you're doing, like, you can print debug. Um, so I think it's a reasonable skill to rely on. Um, it's kind of like where, where you start, but, um, it sounds like there's just not the mechanics in MicroPython yet, um, to really do more detailed debugging. Um, <laughs> Doctor, the cat is downstairs cause it's too hot in here. Um... So Dexter said, how about that Staroids game? If folks haven't seen this, this is really cool. Um, let me pull it up in a private window. So here's Toddbot on Twitter. And I think it's on here. Yeah. So here's this awesome Staroids video, and I think if I turn. Fourth type of CPU. <laughs> but yeah, it's about working on the Oshawa badge, which makes it a fourth type of display and a fourth type of CPU. <laughs> so this is um, a clone of Asteroids by Toddbot, who's on the Discord. I don't know if he's around. Um, it's running on four different boards. Um, <laughs> GDB is the way to go if uh, if you want to do core stuff, and I'm happy to help with that. Um. <laughs> Pi badge is way easier to play than macro pad or anything with a small display. It's not asteroids; it's staroids. And Todd is in the thing, so props to Todd. Thanks, everybody. Um. Could you freeze a CircuitPython image and install it via, say, esptool.py? Like, including Python code? Probably, if you just read it off. Um, oh, there's another video. Oh yeah, this is the one that shows you on all the different devices it works on. Or on your funhouse. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm. It took so long to get display I.O. to a point that like people really liked it. Um, it was one of those things where it was like so much code and a huge lift and then like I got sick of it and I had them I wanted to move on to something else. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of other people have followed up with me about it um, or followed up since then for display I.O. stuff and really made it what I was imagining when I started working on it. Um, and I would love to see, this is a, another reason I would love to do Raspberry Pi CircuitPython, so that like Staroids could end up on uh, your TV, right? Like there's no reason that it couldn't be on your TV as well. I think that would be awesome. Um, okay. So let me see. 
Paul says, I mostly set a global Boolean my debug and all the debug printing statements with a if my debug in front. <laughs> oh, yes, we can talk about this. Another kid says, I still don't understand in Python why curly braces needed to be removed versus using spaces. Um, even if you're working in a language that uses curly braces, people expect you to indent them. Like, in any professional setting, you're going to still indent. And so I'm like, if you're going to still indent, just use spaces. Now, I do recommend for folks new to Python, get an editor that shows you uh, characters for uh, white space. And that makes it easier to make sure you're not mixing tabs and spaces. Um, because that can be a pain. But honestly, indentation is the way to go, because you're going to do it anyway. Um, doctor is asking Toddbot how to make suggestions for steroids. Um, all right, Keithy has a question here. Let me just take another time code. Uh, Keithy asks, uh, actually, that prompts a question. Are you a developer that needs new challenges constantly? Does that drive the new projects like the balance board? Um, Dexter Starboard asks four spaces or two. Whatever the existing file does. <laughs> to cop out. It, it, I vary. I don't do one or the other consistently. Um, actually, that prompts a question. Do I need new challenges constantly? Does that drive new projects like the balance board? A hundred percent. You know how Embedded FM always asks, like, finish one project or start a dozen? Like, I'm definitely in the start a dozen camp. Um, definitely. But I've, I've been really lucky in that. So, like, my personal projects don't always make a lot of progress. Uh, but I am actually able to finish things if, if somebody's paying me to finish them. Um, so I do, I do better having somebody asking or, or kind of wanting me to to finish things. Um, I think part of it is that I really like to learn. So um, I find it easier to work on things or topics that I haven't learned about before. Um, and that's kind of why we're even getting myself, like I'm getting myself into like these hobby projects that are more about like broadband policy and government and stuff like that. Uh, because it's a chance for me to learn new stuff around that as well. I just like, I think a lot of this is just driven by the desire to learn, um, which is why a lot of my projects I get, I get over some hump and I haven't finished it, but I've learned everything that I would need to know to finish it. And then that's when I like get distracted and work on something else. Um, if this balance board wasn't so big, I would like maybe do it on the stream, but it's kind of a pain to to poke at. Um, I'm really sad. Like, it maybe I might have my Wii moat around here somewhere, but I'm pretty sure that, like, uh, oh, for those of you who don't know, like, a Wii balance board is, like, a, a big scale. It's got four uh, load cells in the corners, and I want to use it to measure stuff. Um, and there's a on the board, which I've already clipped out, there's the this is the battery board from the balance board. It's got UART, TX, and RX there, and I thought, oh, that would be great. Like, I could just talk to that. Uh, but I haven't figured out how yet, unfortunately. And I'm pretty sure that the Wiimote also exposes TX and RX, so there's got to be a way. 
I just haven't figured out what it is yet. Um, which is frustrating, because I would really like to use it. I have another balance board underneath the litter box already. That's what I want to do, is I want to weigh the cats uh, consistently with that. So, Keithy says, have you gotten a signal from the board at all over the UART? I have not. I have not, but I have found a paper where people say they've figured it out. And I, I did some digging Wednesday about it, and like the, the module definitely has like a debug UART mode. Um, yeah, I think it does. So um, Keithy says, give me a moment to find my Wiimote to see if I, it's got the UART exposed. Let me show you what I found. So on SparkFun, Fun Wiimote. Like, this is, like, from 2006 or something. But there's this tutorial. I think Nate did it. Yeah, just by Nate from 2006. It takes a Wiimote, and it tears it down. And there's this picture here. There's this picture here, and it's like, hey, like, these two test points are, are clock and data for an I2C line. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But look at these test points, this one and this one, te test point 103 and 104. I bet you those are UARTs. And you will want to know why. Because if you look back up into the case, see here, there's two screw spots. And then there's these two holes. These two holes are actually uh, like accessible from the battery compartment, exactly like the holes on the balance board. Um, so it's got to be the UART. Like the module itself is like pretty basic. It's an 8051. I found a dump of the firmware, but I couldn't figure out what the firmware meant. Um, so yeah, I don't. It's not that complicated. Um, but yeah, so if you have a Wiimote, I suspect that these two are TX and RX in some form. Um, and it's probably the same. So the balance board is essentially the guts of a Wiimote with the accessory for the weighing built in. Um, but yeah, I haven't gotten a signal from it at all, but I suspect that Right, Greg says UART or SWD. Well, it's an yeah, it's an eighty fifty one, so it's gonna be UART, and like it's a it's a Broadcom, like even here you can see that it's a it's a Broadcom twenty forty two on this chip here, and that is the the balance board has a module, but it's got the same chip in it, I think. Um, Did the Wii balance board work before? Well, it flashes like it should. But no, I haven't actually tried it on Bluetooth. I did buy it from Goodwill or not Goodwill, but uh, RePC in Seattle here. So I, I didn't actually try it over Bluetooth, which maybe I should have. <laughs> I have a second one that I haven't messed with yet. Uh, but I got really excited when I saw the labeled UART pins, as I think most of us would. 
So yeah, if you don't have a balance board but you do have a Wiimote that you want to poke at, um, then let me know. I like labeled UART pins. I know, right? You know the thing I haven't tried yet? I haven't tried swapping them. <laughs> That's kind of the next thing when I like get a chance to work on it. I'm just going to swap TX and RX because I feel like that's always the problem. Hi, Unexpected Maker. Hi, Maiko. Um, I bet you that's it. I bet you I have them swapped, but you know. <sighs> Alright, I think I'm caught up on... Um, questions. If folks have more questions, let me know. Um, there are three pads exposed on that Wiimote. Interesting, there's two by the screws and then one further down. But this one doesn't have that. Interesting. But only two on the standard slash original white ones. Hmm. Ooh, Dexter Dexter Starbar asks, what was the biggest change in 7.0? Take a time code, because it's been a while since I have. Um, that's a great question. The biggest change, so, um, <laughs> Keith E says, I was working on getting the balance board to be an IoT scale, so I have a bunch of Wii stuff at my desk. Yeah, poke at the UART and see if you can't get it to respond, please. Like, I found a couple people on the Arduino forums that are, like, trying to figure, that also want to know how to do it. And then I found documentation that somebody figured out how to do it, and I've emailed them, but they haven't got back to me. Um... What's the biggest change in 7.0? So 7.0 is really a chance for us to change things. So so that's the reason that we do it. Uh, but I also have definitely a recency bias. Like Dan fixing audio playback on the RP2040 is a huge deal. Because um, I it sounds a lot better, I think. So that's really cool. Um, and oh, look at this. I haven't even read the release notes. Um, Foaming Guy says the, the two that come to mind for me are, are max sizes removed for display IO group and gamepad going away in fa favor of keypad. Um, uh, Toddbot, Toddbot points out the disableable USB devices. Yeah, configurable USB stuff. Uh, that Dan, Dan worked on that. The max size thing I think I did. Let's see. Support the development workflow over BLE, so that's included. That's what I've been working on. Camera support on ESP32S2, that's from Jeff. You also had QRIO for QR decoding, keypad from Dan, runtime customization of the USB devices from Dan. Um, we did the huge merge from MicroPython, which I did largely. Um, probably, yeah, Bruce S points that out as well. Um, custom hit is available. Uh, I'm waiting for somebody to see, uh, to figure out the custom hit descriptor for plugging into the Nintendo Switch. I know somebody was working on that when the RP2040 first came out and we couldn't do it. Um, so 
that would be a challenge for anybody who wants to do that. Um, hi, Dave. Uh, let's run down the rest of this while we're at it. Uh, underscore pixel buff is now Adafruit underscore pixel buff. That way it can match the, the library. The color wheel routine was moved to rainbow IO. Um, there's now supervisor.tixms to allow easier timekeeping. It does roll over, so be aware of that. Uh, I think Jeff has a tick library to make that easier to work with. Um, simplifications to so the RGB status LED codes, I did that. Um, that's the like minimal blinking. Um, a clocking fix for a few samples of uh, the RP2040. Um, rework of vector IO and some of its APIs. Vector shape is no longer needed for user code. There's now a get pass module and a traceback module. Uh, Katni did the work to do board.led on everything that has a single LED. Um, pulse out no longer needs to get a PWM out passed into it. And we also have supervisor.get previous traceback. <laughs> Ask Patrick Jubber W asks, what is the rough schedule for the final release? I'll tell you how this is going to work. You go to issues and you click milestones and you click 7.0 and you say 26 open issues. Uh, so we'll release when this list gets to zero. Um, which I have been working on. So I have a pull request out for this move one wire to one wire IO. And I should check on that. Um, there's definitely been some ESP32S2 weirdness that I know Unexpected Maker was hitting as well. Um, so two deep dives and it's done. You think I get work done on deep dives? Uh, not that efficient. Today, like, it's been really hot and smoky yesterday and today. So like, they're just not going to be as productive as normal because it's just not not that pleasant in here. Um, today is a melt day, like Doctor says. Yeah, totally. Um, one thing I, I barbecued earlier in the week, and I was going through longer term issues. Um, so that was a. Uh, <laughs> um, that's really helpful too. There's some old issues that are just like have been fixed or no are or are no longer relevant that we can close to. So we're actually like I'm complaining about this 26 open here, but like we're actually down to 425. So we're down a smidge uh, overall, which is good. Patrick says I'm running the portable AC and the air purifier. Well, you're lucky you have portable AC. We don't have any AC in this house, so. But yeah, so the ESP32S2 stuff is pretty rough. Um, and then yesterday, yesterday I was actually pretty productive uh, in terms of focus, not in terms of actually fixing anything. Um, yesterday I was focused on the issue with the IMX RT port, which is the, t the Teensy. Um, it just doesn't work on USB right now. So there's some USB problems with it. And I looked and looked and was like really into it yesterday and just couldn't figure it out. Um, what I did is I ordered uh, Beagle 480, which is a Beagle USB sniffer, but for high speed. So I'm gonna get to it next week when I get that. Um, yeah, 
Luckily, I don't think this smoke's gonna last too long, knock on wood. Um, all right, I'm gonna take another time code because I'm gonna answer this other question. Speaking of status LED, I noticed the Pi portal, matrix portal, and the ESP Wi-Fi manager have a NeoPixel status LED for Wi-Fi. I'm curious why the Wi-Fi shared bindings library doesn't do status LED. Um, one thing that we were really trying to do with the, the status LED rework is to, to minimally use it because it requires, um, because it requires uh, power. And because we had done all that low power work, it didn't make sense to get you in a state where like we were doing a lot of aggressive stuff with the LED. Um, so by leaving it up to user code, like the Wi-Fi manager, we can incorporate things that like um, manage turning it off when power is, is off. So I think, um, I think the user code's the right place to do it. Um, maybe we need to rethink that as we get into wireless workflows. Like there's certainly a case where like blinking when BLE is in pairing mode or something might be really useful. And if we have kind of an equivalent for Wi-Fi, maybe, maybe we'll get there just for like very basic, um, basic stuff. But generally, I think, um, generally it's better to be quiet on the status LED. Certainly the, like we had that piece of code that was doing like line numbers and stuff over the LED and that was never useful. Like it was a response for me knowing that like finding the error code stuff is really hard for people. Uh, and so I was like, oh, like that's why I spent all that time on blinking the line number. But the reality is, is that it's not useful enough. It's just like, it's just um, the first thing that you tell somebody if it, they tell you how many flashes it is is just like just connect it to its over serial. Like that's gonna be way way more better. Um, So yeah, Unexpected Maker says, I definitely appreciate having the RGB LED touched less by CircuitPython. It's a terror for battery projects. Totally. And the nice thing about what what I realized when I was doing that rework for the RGB LED is like the way that we used to have to do it internally is like we'd, we'd initialize it and then we kind of like have to hand it off to user code and back. And like what I realized with the new way we do it is like we only use it when user code's not running, which means we can actually initialize it, use it, and then deinitialize it. And then we don't have to worry about this like complicated sharing logic that we had. Uh, so I was really happy with, with that, um, making it simpler. <laughs> but Mr. 007 says, I hope one day CircuitPython and electronics get so good that if you query a capability that doesn't exist, it will 3D print it at runtime and add it to your project. 3D printing has a lot, long way to go for different materials, I would say, in order to be very versatile. And I think, like, there's always room, always room for improvement in terms of software as well. Oh, let me print you an IR distance sensor. I mean, that would be cool. Then you'd be able to, like, basically make your own chips, which would be cool. Um... Uh, yeah, Toddbot says flash all 128 LEDs full bright red is battery for battery is low. Right. Okay. 
Hi, Ham's Lab. I lost track of time thinking about a new contract. It looks like I'll be working on it. Awesome. I, sounds like you're excited. That's cool. Um, okay, let's take a look at issues. And let's just see. I think most of these are assigned. So if I hit assignee and then assign to nobody. Um, crash on auto reload on ESP32S2. Include board ID. I know somebody's working on this. PWM generated tones may be off frequency at higher frequencies. Is this the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, because I saw this. Start tone, stop tone. PWM generated tones may be off frequency at higher frequencies. Hmm, that's something, it's audio, so like Dan's been doing all the audio stuff recently. But maybe I could take a look at that. And then this hard crash on I2C display. I'm kind of like avoiding the ESP32S2 actually. Um, Jeff's been doing a lot of that work, and I know he he took a look at another issue. I do have some BLE work, but like I I don't want to pick up anything that's going to require a ton of focus because I just don't have it today. Let's check on my pull request. Increased TX power requires a review. Anybody has review privileges and wants to review me changing some numbers? Can do that. Merge it for me. Uh, I meant to look at the boundary field. I guess I assigned it to somebody else. Um, move one wire to one wire I.O. So this is another kind of... It's not breaking anything yet, but it will break kind of in the future. So we were looking at space for... Um, we were looking at space on the proximity trinky based on one of the some of the other. What 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 did I fix? My brain is gone. Um, I fixed. I fixed PWM reset. So if you have a board, it was like the PPM four, where uh, it doesn't have pulse IO enabled. Um, I need. Uh, 5147 reviewed is really simple. Uh, it's just changing the TX power of the broadcast for the CircuitPython Beely workflow. It's raising it up a little bit because uh, Antonio was testing it and he couldn't like even put it like directly on there on his device so it needed a little bit more oomph. Um, Alright, so I fixed this and there's two more in progress that might have gotten hung but yeah so i fixed the pulse stuff and then there was another sandy 51 thing that i fixed that i can't remember um let's see closed author myself Oh, so the other one was um, disable BLE workflow eight days ago, and then oh, the other one hasn't been merged yet. Switch SAMD ticks to the periodic event. So there was an issue that said if I use pulse in on SAMD 21, I can't like auto reload no longer works. Um, 
and that that was because on the SAMD21, we were kind of like mixing tick tracking. So ticks are a thing that you can turn on internally, and it will call the supervisor tick code every one twenty fourth of a second, and that's used. So when you when a file system write happens, we count down uh, a delay because we don't want to do it on absolutely every write in, co in case there's another one coming. Um, but there were some fixes to Pulsin that was stopping ticks, which meant that auto reload didn't work. Um, so I fixed that, and uh, with that I was changed. I changed the sizes a bit, and so that got me looking at bus IO, and bus IO has one wire in it, which is useful but not as useful as the other three things in bus io um so i was like oh we should move one wire out um so in eight so in seven here we'll have it in three places but in eight it will only be in one wire io um, and that will allow us for new boards to just turn it off or, or for boards where it's not useful at all then we'd be able to just turn it off um so that's like tr what we try to do with circuit python is have like one release that has the new API and the old API. Um, you can merge Mark, it's fine. Don't be scared of the merge button. I merge lots of stuff that probably shouldn't be merged. <laughs> you can always fix it later. Alright. So yeah, this is coming. This is actually a pretty great change because we had a lot of duplication. So this is moving it from, it was in Bitbang IO and Bus IO, and now it's just moving to one wire IO. So that'll be really nice. Um, and it's, it's adding less code than it is removing. So that's always good. Um, okay, so I'm doing that. Foamy guy did boundary fill. Code format version checking. Reviews. Did no one review it? Microdev's on there. Said looks good to me. But then Jeff had to change it. Let's just take a peek at this right now. Check uncrustify version. If version is less than that. Hmm. Is there a scenario where that doesn't work? Like, that's a string comparison. It's probably fine. So this will all be the same. And, oh, it, it will break once once this first digit is more than two digits. More than one digit. I think it's fine. I'm willing to risk it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fine. We can always fix it later. So we'll get this merged in. Patrick says, this is always interesting to hear a dev explain. What do you typically look for when doing a PR review? Let me take a time code, because that's a great. Uh, 
so I don't consider so so the question is is uh, what do you typically look for when doing a PR review? So I don't consider myself a great reviewer. Um, I think that some things that good reviewers will do is they'll actually like try to understand the code <laughs> as if they uh, it was theirs. But I, um, I think I struggle with that a little bit. Like if something's simple, like then it's pretty straightforward to see. Um, and like I guess here, what I was like making sure that the logic was actually correct. So I'll I'll glance at it, but I won't. I think a lot of people who are detail oriented may kind of uh, hold off on doing it. Kind of like me encouraging Mark to just merge it is um, like the nice thing about Git or any other source control is that you can always undo stuff. You can always uh, fix stuff as well. Um, so like this is like, yeah, it's not perfect. Like, yeah, you should parse it and like under it, but parsing version numbers is really complicated, especially when you don't know what scheme they're using or their scheme is not consistent. So like, is this perfect? No. Is it adequate? Sure. Um, so I take a, I'll take a look at all the files usually, unless it's like a giant merge and then I won't. Um, the thing that I am really a stickler about uh, then the reason that I do reviews is, uh, or the reason that the thing that I look in most detail for reviews is API changes. And what that means in CircuitPython is it means um, public API. So, so APIs that impact or that are available into Python. Um, those in, in, in CircuitPython world, all of that code lives in shared bindings. So the first place that I will start is I will look in shared bindings and I will see how the APIs are changing because those are the things that are harder to change, right? So so I kind of, when I do reviews, I'm prioritizing the things that are hardest to change. So um, the <laughs> uh, APIs are one of those. APIs are one of the things that are hardest to change. So those are the things that I, I'll think about the most. Um, and it's important to kind of have a gauge for like what you consider public and what you don't consider public. So what I mean by that is um, what APIs am I okay changing on a major version boundary like 7.0? Those are the public APIs. Those are the ones that we feel like we have to be careful about. And then what are the APIs that we have internally? Uh, or um, those are usually characterized by like we have control over all the code that uses that particular API. Therefore, if we want to change it, we change all the code and we're fine. Um, so yeah, I think uh, generally that's really what I'm looking for. Um, I look like for logic and it, if, if it's a driver and people are adding things, I'll look at the comments. Like sometimes people don't think about like what the what the like read the docs will look like. Um, I am too, probably too much of a stickler for like how you document properties, <laughs> um, which I've definitely bugged some people about. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I hope that answers it. I, I generally fall on the like, I'm less detail oriented and I merge things that, at the risk of not 
not having or not that I shouldn't have merged it. I think generally, if you're too cautious, you just end up with things piling up. And, and a lot of the testing that we do in CircuitPython relies on people trying it. Um, so there's an expectation that things will have to be um, fixed up as well. Um, yeah, so this reset timer is separate from PWMIO. It's broken. One failing check. Let's see. Oh, this is because it needs to be merged. So we'll get, we'll kick this. We'll do a merge and then push it. <laughs> that expectation that there will need to be fixes later is good to know about. I mean, I think that's true for all coding, but that's certainly what I try to push. Um, yeah, I tried to rerun it because I thought I fixed this later, but we can do this right now. That's super easy. Um, Mark says, I do a lot of walkthrough of it in my head because I won't always be able to set up a test. Depends on how complicated the PR is. Yeah, and I'm really a terrible person when it comes to testing. I rarely, I, I don't often test, which is really bad. And like, Lamora has the opposite. Like, she's very good at testing. Like, I'm, I, I'm on the worst side of that spectrum for sure i'd rather i'd rather merge it and then if it fails i'll fix it <laughs> i'll test my own stuff but for other things i'll, I'll usually probably just look um okay next up that's a to do we can do that on the stream i'll do that get that get that build going but first, I'm going to answer James Foe says, is there any performance to be gained from having many instructions on one line opposed to spreading things out vertically, which most seem to do? Uh, not usually, no. Um, it depends exactly on what the contents of those lines are, but um, as Christian is, or as Lamistra007 says, as many instructions on the same line is proven to cause early dementia. Generally, you want you before you think about optimizing performance, you should prioritize optimizing readability, uh, because the reality is that, and this is why Circuit Python is kind of like popular as well, is that uh, or Python in general is that pri Python prioritizes the developer experience over performance, right? So like, it's actually more costly for a company to maintain unreadable code than it is to buy more expensive hardware that can run maintainable code faster. You know what I mean? Like there's a performance trade-off to running Python, but people would rather buy beefier hardware to run Python than pay people to maintain highly optimized code. Um, so yeah. There's def def definitely like optimized readability. And if you ever do, if you ever do performance work, make sure that you measure it. This is like, there's this notion in computer science called premature optimization, which basically means you are making decisions and trade-offs uh, for in the name of performance without measuring it. And that risks making bad choices, meaning writing code that is you could write code that's actually slower than the, the other thing 
but also that it is like less maintainable. So if you do get into a situation where you are doing performance work, make sure that you are instrumenting it first, right? Make sure that if you, if you need a function to run faster, make sure that you're measuring how fast it runs before you ever try to optimize it. Um, There's there and the other thing with premature optimization is that it's likely that you don't actually know what the cause is. So like, if if you measure first and then change it, and you'll discover that it doesn't actually help that much, um, then you can like, then you'll have that feedback, and and you won't spend a lot of time doing something that doesn't have the impact that you want. Um. <laughs> Linux two three says pilot in black. My code might not work, but it will look pretty. I mean, yes, and there is like some basic analysis about like variables that can catch variable typo names. So like there is a little bit of stuff that's, that's right. Christian points out the reason line breaks by themselves don't matter is that it's all compiled to the same bytecode. Yeah, assuming you took the same exact code and just like added semicolons to make it on the same line, it's going to be exactly the same. Uh, but if you had like a variable that you saved it in that you didn't before, there's a slight chance that it changes performance. But again, measure it before you ever make that trade-off. Um, back to reviews. I just want to... Hamslab says, I worked at a place that had a really in-depth review process, and you could spend the time to understand it, not only to review the code, but so everyone was familiar with the whole system. Yeah. Um, this is one thing I was thinking about. I sit on the Zephyr committee, and let's just look at like this pull request. I don't know what it is, but look at this. This is a, a request for comment uh, from April for this pull request, and it's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people listed on reviewers. Three have commented, three approved, and four who haven't interacted with it. They have 379 open pull requests. Let's look at this new one. This new one, it's got four reviewers listed. Like, I understand. I understand that reviews are important, and I agree with that. Um, and I have not worked on safety critical systems, so that is my bias. But that's a lot of reviews. <laughs> That's that's like if we think our review load is bad in CircuitPython, imagine having each each thing reviewed by four people. Like that is a lot. This thing has thirty comments. Look at that: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and at least two approving reviewers are required. Like. That just would frustrate me to no end. Um, yeah, I just I think one reviewer like one reviewer is fine. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. We can always fix it later. 
Um, if anybody is using CircuitPython for critical code, you are responsible for making sure that it fits the bar that you need. I am not doing that. <laughs> Pierre says, lots of reviewers equals too many opinions equals takes forever to get things in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Zephyr is very consensus-driven. They spend a lot of weeks talking about topics. And, like, I think I bias too far the other way, so it's good to have other people, like, balance me out. But, like, <laughs> that's a lot. At Google, when I was at Google, it was you had to have one reviewer, and you might need a second reviewer if um, the first reviewer didn't have... Like, they had this notion of code owners, so if your change touches a lot of different places in the code base, you may need multiple. And maybe that's what this is, I don't know. Um, and then they also have a constraint about, like, making sure that you have, like, a, a readability, which is, like, a reviewer that knows the programming language that you're in if you yourself do not have readability. Um, and that's just a style consistency thing. Um, Toddbot's answering questions about steroids. Frame rate is highly dependent on the number of colors in the sprite BMPs. Huh. So they have a pilot person. Yeah, basically. Uh, I I remember the Go the Go readability thing is essentially run Go format though. So like they're definitely moving to this world where it's like you let the computer world about the computer worry about formatting. And that actually makes for better code reviews as well. This is why we have black and pilot is like code reviewers can fall into traps of saying this needs to be indented like this this comma needs a space after it like that sort of stuff and like that's all things that computers can do like there the if if as a reviewer you come into a code review and say i got to figure out all of the like nitpicks things all of the formatting things like you're definitely not going to look at like the logic or the apis or like the higher level things at all so, like, having black and pilot are, like, very, very useful. Um, the So, going back to what you should do as a reviewer, do not tell somebody to put a space somewhere. Like, that's the job of pilot. That's not your job. Um, your job is to, to look for bugs and, and to make sure that everything is explained well, both in the, like, API itself and the documentation for it. Um, there was, so you know, we're, we're going, we're circling around two topics, which is great. Got an extra one in there. Um, La Mistra 007 says, CircuitPython is compiled and not just interpreted. So it is interpreted, um, but there is a process that ends up in bytecode. So even interpreters usually have an intermediate representation. Um, so it's not compiled as in like GCC runs it. Um, it's it's CircuitPython will slurp in the human readable version of the code, parse it, and then structure it into bytecode, which is um, data structures that the CircuitPython VM knows how to run 
but are not attached to like what the CPU knows knows how to run. There's actually like a big loop in C that like reads a bytecode and figures out like a big switch statement that says like, okay, if it's this bytecode, this is the code path we're doing in C. Um, Dave asks, uh, could optimizing corrupt your code? Optimizing, I, I don't know, corrupt, I think, in the sense of like, make it not work. Yeah, I think if you're so concerned about performance that you change it in a way that actually causes it to break, it's totally possible. Um, corruption in the terms of like file system corruption, I don't think so. Like ideally, Python, CircuitPython doesn't allow you to do that. Of course, if you're doing file manipulation, then maybe. Um, but yeah, it, you could break it. You could break your code accidentally if you're trying too hard to optimize. Um, yeah, Kristen says compiled on import of the device. <laughs> and Mike, Mike Causer says this is why we have tests. Yes. So this is this is another thing I'm bad at. Um, it's hard to do on hardware. Um, it says this is why we have tests. <laughs> um, I'm bad about writing tests. At Google, they require you to have unit tests for every all the code that you write. Now, so much of the code that I write interfaces with like hardware registers that that's trickier to do. It's not impossible, um, but but it is uh, tough. And then Pierre asks, uh, where do harder drivers written in C fit in like key map? Um, in terms of, I think you're talking about in terms of like compiled versus, uh, sorry, I'm time coding again. Um, they are not done on import. So, so hardware drivers written in C in the CircuitPython repo, they get compiled along with the rest of CircuitPython. And then there's a way for you to basically call that C function from the VM. So the VM will be running around in a loop and it will see like, oh, we're going to do a function call. And it will look it up and say like, oh yeah, like uh, I found the name of that function. And the thing that it points to is a native function, not a bytecode function. It's like C compiled into core stuff. And so what it will do is from the VM, it will say like, okay, let me pass the arguments in. And then it, so in CircuitPython, the VM does passes the arguments into the functions that are defined in shared bindings. The shared bindings functions, C functions convert Python objects to C objects generally, and then call the implementation that is on a like per port basis in common how. Um, and then the reverse is like the C code runs, it finishes, it returns a C like object or, or a MicroPython object, depending on what it is. Shared bindings will then convert that return to a Python object if it wasn't already. And then that gets handed back to the VM and the VM says like, okay, that's my return value and let me keep running bytecode from there. Um, so yeah, maybe that, hopefully that kind of made sense. <laughs> Neurodoc says regression test saves lives as in hours of work. So if folks have um, a good C-level unit test framework, I think we should actually start having uh, C-level unit tests in CircuitPython. I think that would actually help a lot. So MicroPython has really good 
Python level tests, but they don't have C level tests. And so I think it would actually be helpful if, if somebody's a testing guru and wants to help establish something. Like I'm pretty good at writing tests if I have example tests to like copy and paste. Um, but like setting up testing infrastructure is like a bigger task. And so if anybody has a has done embedded C unit testing before, um, then uh, that would be cool to get set up in CircuitPython. And, and the MicroPython folks may be interested as well. Um, all right, Pierre, I see another question. Let me time code it. And I have that build issue to fix too. Um, Pierre says, makes sense. Uh, is it possible to add your own C code drivers? Uh, technically, yes. Um, although I don't recommend it. Um, uh, actually, they say they specified not in the core. Um, so I, when we updated CircuitPython to a newer version of MicroPython, one of the things that we got was the ability to do native modules, which is a way to wrap uh, compiled like ARM code um, that GCC is generated in an MPY file. I think it still ends up as an MPY file. So there is a way using like the native emitter and stuff um, to write C code that is compiled into a separate file that can be loaded by MicroPython. I don't, I think it's very limited from what I've heard. I haven't tried it myself. Um, it's very limited in the sense of like calling out to functions in MicroPython is like pretty limited uh, because it has to essentially link your code when it imports it. And then also um, the nice thing about MPY files as they are is that they work across architectures. And so like a native, if you have a native compiled module, it may not work on both an ARM chip and an, an ESP, for example, because those are two different CPU architectures. Um, so it is possible. I don't recommend it. Um, if there's a particular reason or functionality that you need written in C, I would, I would encourage you to just add it to the core. Um, in the same way that we have like bus IO I squared C, bus IO spy is like, there's a reason we have stuff in the core and it's so that you can do things that you can't from Python. Um, well, Mr. says every time a cool chip comes out, I'm like, bah, it's not dip. I can't use it on Arduino and I quit. Why do you need a dip chip? I mean, supporting Arduino software on a chip is a lot trickier, but I don't know. I, I've, I've done a lot of SMD work and I don't think it's that too bad. Um, what is the current value of time.monotonic? If it's been running for a day, it might not have millisecond precision. That I don't know. Dan knows that. <laughs> Unexpected Maker says SMD for the win. Talking to doctor. 
cool. Okay, let me fix this uh, PR. Because I thought it was merged in already. Um, so let's pull up the branch. It's the fixed SAMD 20, SAMD timer leak. Let's see what I have in here. I'm in one wire IO. Sandy timer leak. Update init. Hmm. I don't have the physical dexterity to solder SMD, unfortunately. Um, is the other thing I would think of. I mean, that's that's a bummer. I'm sorry to hear that. Um. I think just like the smallest dev boards are probably the best bet otherwise how do you do soldering uh, 0.1 millimeter 0.1 inch pitch like standard breadboard pitch stuff like a itsy bitsy size or, or a cutie pie size stuff um, Pierre says, native modules sounds like a deep rabbit hole. It's not too bad. They're well portioned out. I th yeah, native modules that you that you can import um, are definitely tricky. NRF specific setup to wake from sleep. Saw something for ESP, I think. So I think we have the NRF sleep stuff merged in as well. Um, if there's a new type of alarm you, you would need to add, then yeah, maybe you'd need to change the core, but... We have like time alarm and pin alarm usually, and that's usually about what you get in the lowest sleep states. Um, Pierre points out that if you're doing SMD, if you can place the stuff and then using solder paste and then a toaster oven, you can do that too. Instead of having to do this with like a soldering iron. Z-axis tape instead of soldering. Uh, Keith, I see your question. Uh, let me just finish this. I'm going to forget. Hold that thought. I think you're going to be around. Let me just... Let me just do this. I don't think it's going to take me very long. It's just... Good flux helps a lot. Okay, so this has 3,000 bytes free. So why in the world... I think it should have been fine. Um... Beata says, I'm in the same boat, not very good eyes or steady hands. I think the the only reason you need to use small chips is if um, if you're trying to build something small. Um, oh, is the French translation? Thank you. Let's take a look there. Thank you, Christian. That was so so helpful. Okay, so twelve sixty four. So. I have a setup here on Arch where I actually 
I'm always building smaller builds because like the standard library is built with OS on Arch, whereas it's O2 from ARM. Um, so I always, this is right about where it, it starts to overflow. But I think what I could do is I can um, get merge Adafruit main. I think if I just merge main in and update my sub modules. So now this, this change now has the fix I did for my other PR that is merged in. And so if I do the same thing, and I'll add the translation back in a sec. Dip seems to be obsolete in every dip chip I find I have a cheaper, better option in SMD. Yeah, I think so. Like the reason things are cheaper is because like it's used by a lot of people and, and the things that they use them in are small. Um, but that's why I'm like, di like dev boards, I guess are more cheap. They're more expensive than chips, but they're still, um, you can find pretty small dev boards and they're not that expensive, which is why I was asking about soldering. A cheaper SMD one has 1024 instead of 32 logic gates. Yep. All right. Well, that that merge did it. So this this is why I was like, let me answer your question in just a second. So we got 800 bytes back uh, because of the changes that I made in main. So I'm just going to push that and it will hit, hit here. If I pushed it the right place, did I not? Oh, it's just slow. All right, so it hit here, and that should be okay. Um, okay, that's good. And of course, I forgot to take a time code. That's good. Keithy had this good question. And yeah, my, I have all these formatting issues that I'll fix. Um, Keith asks, uh, how do the core devs for CircuitPython divide up the work or knowledge of base of the core? How do you dive in and learn more slash refer to someone else when it's not the problem you're familiar with or experienced with, etc.? Um, this kind of goes back a little bit to uh, I think to some degree Dan and Jeff work in a similar way that I do where it's like I can work on something for so long and then I like tire of it. I think that's true for them as well. And that means that like we'll kind of like orbit a little bit into different places. Um, so that will mean that like we'll know like somebody worked on something before, but that doesn't stop us from having somebody else work on it next. Um, it's kind of just a matter of like what we plan on doing, who's waiting, who like needs to pick something else up. Um, I know that Jeff kind of like biases a bit towards like really like doing the like C low level stuff, um, which is why you see him. He's got like a, a draft PR for like changing argument validation, for example, like that's kind of like where he, where he migrates to. Um, we do have a couple meetings during the week. We have a private one and then we have the public circuit Python weekly meeting. And that will be like a, I make sure and know what's going on. And if I've done it before, I might say like, Hey, what have you thought about this or that? 
Um, for example, one thing when I was talking with Dan about the audio playback stuff, which I did a few years ago, was like, one, you should really try to get, use I2S, because I2S is great because you get the exact samples out since it's digital. If you're looking at the output of an ADC, like you don't necessarily know the exact number that's being sent to the ADC. Whereas with I squared S, like you actually do because it's digital output. And then the other thing that really kind of helped Dan a lot was like getting to the point of twiddling bits. Uh, and what I mean by that is like outputting different things on the line. Um, one of the challenges in, in embedded debugging is that like it's timing sensitive, especially like USB, BLE, and play and um, audio playback are all timing sensitive. So the the way that you debug it, you can't just use a debugger because the debugger will stop the code, and like you lose all your timing reliability if you do that. So for BLE, I tend to do a lot of print debugging because print debugging um, doesn't it, it slows the code down, but it doesn't prevent the BLE stuff from running. Um, and audio is more sensitive than that. And so Dan was doing like setting individual pins high and low when certain things are happening. Cause you're like the challenge with the audio debugging that he did is like figuring out how different pieces of the code are interacting and at what time scales they are. Uh, because like the way audio playback works is like you load some samples off the disc and then you queue them up to be sent to the output either i2s or dac and then you while you're doing that you prep the second buffer and when the first buffer is free again then you can fill it again and like you you do this like ping pong buffer system where you have two buffers in memory that you're switching between and you're trying to, you have to keep them loaded to, to keep up with the output pace um and so doing that is uh is handy um for debugging uh so so twiddling bits can be handy. And uh, that's what the CLEA logic analyzer is really good for, is it, it can tell, um, like, for these given pins, here's when they're all changing relative to each other. Um, and you can then copy, uh, then you can, like, capture the actual output to go along with that, too. Just kind of where I'll, I may have to be for USB. Yeah, that's that. Uh, all right, let me take this new question. Keith's got so many great questions. And my hand was in the wrong spot. Um, Keith says, other than the Salier, what tools do you use to help during, during this? So I have kind of like, I would say, first I print debug, which means I don't need any tools. I even load over UF2. You probably, you probably see me on deep dive do this. It's like double click, load the file, print. TO is great because TO is like the thing that you, uh, it auto reconnects to the serial, so it's it's great. So first, I just do print debugging. Um, if that doesn't work, there's a couple ways to go. One is through GDB. So GDB is uh, the GNU GNU debugger, and it is um, 
I said I say salier for how I pronounce it. So GDB is what I the tool that I will bring out when I am debugging a hard fault or some other crash. Um, that's really nice for for being able to do that. Um, so that's where I'll do GDB is if, if there's a crash, GDB will give you a backtrace and that's like super valuable. Um, if that doesn't work, like the uh, Salier is really great for any sort of timing. So if you're talking to an external device, the Salier is great. Um, and I have the Logic Pro 16, like the top end of it, which means I can actually do 16 lines at a time, which is pretty awesome. And it can do basic analog, so even if you're doing audio, you can still see basic analog traces as well. So I like I like the Salie a lot. Um, if I'm doing USB stuff like I was doing yesterday, uh, having a separate capture device like a Beagle, the Beagle 12, the Beagle 480 is what I have coming for high speed. But there's also uh, a crowd supply project called Luna. Um, that I'm very excited about. It's been I've known about it for a long time, and it sounds like it's actually gonna be a thing at some point. Um, it can do it's open source and can do high speed debugging. Um, so let me show this. So for USB, this is the future I think. Um, and I gotta sneeze. <coughs> Oh, sorry. Am I saying it wrong? Salier? Copy link. I probably am. How do you pronounce it? Salia. Salia? Let's play the video. Salier. No, that's how I say it. Salier. Salier. <laughs> Um, nice. I thought I was wrong. Salier. Um, yeah, so Luna is from Great Scott Gadgets, and I know that um, uh, Kate Temkin did a lot of the, the work for the Luna. Um, and so I'm very excited to see it, it hit Crowd Supply and then talk about their open source protocol analyzer. Um, and you can see that it's, it's the same functionality as special, expensive commercial USB analyzers like the Beagle 480, which I just did. Um, so yeah, so those are like some things I go to. Let me talk about the Salier a little bit more. Um, I don't use the leads that come with it because the, the, the thing that you plug... Oh, it's on the floor. That's why it's not on here. Um, the plugs that come with the Salier are... Uh, they're like... It's just a 2x5... 2x5, 2x4 um, 1-inch headers that you plug into. And then uh, the default ones are are like sockets and then they have um, like clippers to go on it. Those clippers are the worst. Um, they hardly ever stay on the thing that I care about. Oh, here we go. So this is like kind of what you would get when you start me. You can see the top of my monitor, but so this is what goes into the CLEA is this two by four and then 
this is kind of what you would get um, otherwise. It's just these individual ones. Now, I only... Half, half of these are, are ground, but I only usually do one. Um, so the black one is ground, and then the other four are the signal lines. So I use these a, a ton, and I made these. Um, and the... Yeah, so the clips, I, I don't like at all. Oh, here we go. So if you're doing flash work, which I do from time to time, flash chips are SOIC8s. Get one of these get one of these they will save you from tearing your hair out what they do is they they clip on the top of the chip clip 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 and then you can plug your cilia leads into the top and now you don't have to worry about having those little things uh talking or doing to the soic8 um this is super helpful i also when i was doing the rp2040 i actually bought some of the soic8 sockets which are nice as well, but actually allows you to swap to a different chip. And uh, Lemoore carries that. I don't know if they're in stock, but they're great. These SOIC sockets are really handy. Um, yeah, these are really handy. Uh, you can solder them in place as long as they haven't butted up everything. I think on the Feather RP2040, I had to like remove a capacitor or a resistor or something so I could fit it. But um, they're super handy if you're having to deal with multiple chips. And uh, Al Alvaro says those clips are excellent for infosec stuff too. Yeah, because I think spy flashes are used like by boot stuff pretty regularly. Um, so yeah, those are super helpful for debugging flash chips. Um, somebody said... The problem is the individual pins on a DFN are like 0.3 millimeters across. So you have to solder really precise. One thing I have uh, as a tip for that is if you are having to solder to a signal, don't go straight from the place you're soldering to the logic analyzer. Um, like if you're dealing with a dev board, go to a pinhole that will have a floating signal by default. So like, if I was to like, if I wanted to actually scope like one of these pins here, I would do a tiny wire from one of these pins to one of the holes and then put a pin in the hole that I could just plug into then. Um, good night, Dave. <laughs> Beata says, I looked for one of those for a parallel SMD flash. It was so far out of my budget. Yeah. Huh. Hamslab says, I've done a lot of embedded audio and used PyOCD to debug. I was about to do bitwise testing of DSP algorithms by setting an ingress breakpoint, injecting a test signal, setting an egress breakpoint, and gather the, resul the results and check it against my Python model. Nice. Yeah, like, PyOCD is really cool. I think it's really neat. Uh, people should look at it if they haven't. I wish they had SAMD sport, but it didn't work when I tried it. Okay. Back to eye tracking mode. But yeah, I think in terms of what tools I use, like I've got kind of more of a classic workstation that's now behind me. So soldering iron, 
bench top power supply is really handy. If you're powering something up for the first time, it can current limit so it doesn't blow it. Fan, oscilloscope, hot air. Set for my fix it. All great stuff, but I do mostly software, and so I, I rarely go behind me, so to speak. The Mistra 007 says, what is the most expensive chip you guys ever bought, considering the $600 Fleur chip? I don't know. I probably haven't spent more than $10 on a given chip. Uh, but I do buy a lot of dev boards, because that's where I usually start. Like, I just spent $60 on the NVIDIA. NVIDIA one. It is getting hot. It is now 93.7. But yeah, Luna looks cool. And May of next year. This we kicked. Uh, it's going. Doctor says the most I spent on a single chip was $800. Oh yeah, if you count CPUs. <laughs> I spent about $800 on my CPU. iFixit has a power supply. No, I was talking about the screw set. Um, the power supply I actually got I was going to say Adafruit, but that was the hot air station. I don't know where I got the power supply, but it's really handy. It's a Siglent. I don't know. I would just Google it. I don't think they're particularly... But yeah, power supplies are really nice. That have current limiting. And they can tell you how much... Uh, back to the Glasgow and I have to wait until next year for it too. I imagine Luna's hitting the same supply issues. Yep. Ryzen 5950X was 900. Well, that's what I have. Z-axis on 40 millimeter QPF chips. Let's look this up. Conductive tape. I want to know your full system specs. I have a Strix ROG motherboard with 32 gigs of RAM. I think it's 32. I was thinking about 64, but it's way cheaper as Rose, who's in our community, suggested to just pay Google pay Google for a system with a lot of RAM when you need it for like 10 minutes or something. Um, Arduino Raspberry Pi scale chips. I think ten, you tend to get FPGAs are really expensive. The higher end STs and um, PSOCs are more expensive. We could do, we could do a uh, 128 gigs of RAM. It's a lot. I don't know how I don't know how I would use it. The only time I need it is with um, like if I'm doing Python data science stuff. Oh, VMs, lots of VMs. I don't do stuff in VMs. I haven't under I don't understand it. 
D-axis conductive tape. That's pretty neat. I hadn't heard of that. Huh. Keep it under 100 milliamps. Oh, I have some of these Chibitronic circuit stickers. It's like a computer in your computer. Why do I need more computers? Uh, Alright, let's close this. Chrome, hold my beer. Yeah. Finally fixed that GDB issue. So this is the main bug I was working on, is this TT41. Here's how I search DigiKey for new microcontroller chips. My uh, not-so-great search. Uh, what is it called? Dev kit? Development boards, kits, and programmers. If I'm ordering from DigiKey, this is what I'll take a look at. Like MCU in stock, which is going to whittle it down. Apply. Oh, I also do new product. VM is basically the same as a cloud instance. You need VMs to run those things that won't run on macOS on the M1 chip. So I do that, and then I say price, what is within my... There's a Wio RP2040 module from Seed. The Fez Flea. Redboard. That's marked as new. Hmm. Not a lot. Hey, look, macro pad. Oh! Somebody was asking me about when it would be in stock. There's a Twitter conversation about this. Pro tip, if you haven't if you can't buy something off Adafruit, check DigiKey. There are eighty-eight macropad bareboards. Bareboards. That must include hardware. I, I assume it includes the uh, the backplate as well. Um new nucleo boards. Going to DigiKey now. Yeah, there you go. Copy link. Have I thought of making a macro pad timestamp generator? So Jeff figured out how to get the timestamp from OBS. And I thought about doing that. I also thought about maybe even doing like a Discord bot that would like run on my machine and be able to access OBS. But who am I kidding? Um, I don't know, yeah, I don't know exactly what's in that bare bones. Whoa. ARM Cortex-A7. Single board computer. Interesting. The IMX6. That's not too bad of a price. Ooh! Maybe I should pick one of these up. Those look really neat. 
Oh, the backplate is a separate skew. Well, it's possible Digikey has that too. It's 5103. Adafruit 5103. Accessories? There you go. And they don't have any womp womp. What is the full kit? I'm sure you could get creative though. Oh look, it's 35? It's only 30 on... Yeah, it's actually cheaper to buy from DigiKey than Adafruit. That's hilarious. Oh, they're in stock. They're in stock from Adafruit. They're all in stock. Fifty-one twenty-eight. Digic you can be better if you're uh <laughs> Right, so the not in the full kit's not in stock. But they it's all in stock on Adafruit right now. Where is that? There was definitely a Twitter thread that said it's not in stock. This thread has this awesome I thought somebody said it wasn't in stock. Don't worry, I'm just selling my product products on the stream. Alright, that's enough Twitter. Get back to work. But yeah, you don't need to buy on DigiKey. There's actually uh only wish they were velocity sensitive keys. Here an accelerometer would help achieve the behavior. I'm sure the keys, velocity sensitive keys would be a lot more expensive, I'm sure, than these switches. For some reason, all Adafruit boards on DigiKey are mar marketed as evaluation boards for me, like I'm getting a shareware version. That's definitely the category that they're in because like most of them are designed to go in other things. Um, 
it's kind of where what it grew out of Let's see anything else interesting this is kind of interesting when we do ESP32 circuit Python and these are kind of interesting too because I I would like to get into the cortex ace level stuff and these are under a hundred dollars which is kind of neat I think that top connector is HDMI, which is the thing that I'm curious about. Uh, Arduino edge control. Yeah, these are these are outside of my impulse buy. Although this one I might pick up, uh, the IMX RT series. I have most of those already. Zinc. Arduino Portenta machine. $3,000 for a Xilinx. Uh, are there MX compatible keys that have a pin for key up? Because then you could do velocity sensing by measuring time between key up end and key down begin. Ah, awesome. S. Patrick ordered the starter kit. I have to say, I do actually have a macro pad on my desk that I use, and I use it for one button, which is the kitty paw button that I have, and I'm using it for playing and pausing Spotify, because I sit down, listen to music, stand up, so I hit it again. Hamslab says, it just happened today, I got the email today saying it was back in stock. Awesome. I think the macro pad's really cool. I'm, I have, like what, 11 more buttons to figure out how I'm going to use it? Um, but yeah, the BLE workflow stuff, we're super close. We're, our goal is to have um, our goal is to have test flights available for testing for iOS by the end of the month. And Melissa is picking up the uh, web side, web Bluetooth side of stuff uh, that I did uh, that I started, so so it's going to look a lot prettier real quick. Any recommendation for Arduino compatible RISC-V MCU boards? Uh, let me take a, take a time code because I have stopped. Um, any recommended Arduino compatible RISC-V MCU boards? I don't know of any um, I don't know of any to be Arduino compatible you have to have like the board support stuff um, I wouldn't be surprised that the ESP32 C3 was the first thing to do it um, but sorry I don't know Risk V. Oh, you know what? There is a RISC-V core on the ESP32-S2. Oh, and Dexter Starboard points out the RED-5 board, which is a SparkFun board, I think. SparkFun RED-5. Oh, that's right. The Sci-Fi people did do Arduino compatible. 
I think. Yeah, so you could start with us. Honestly, I don't think Risk Five in and of itself is that interesting. It's very cool, and I'm very excited to see it. But like, there's so much more to these chips than just the CPU core. So I, I think, Risk Five is is trying to become this thing that you just assume and and build upon, and that's great. Um, Risk Five is awesome, but I think if you're buying Risk Five for a reason. If you're not going to write assembly code, it really doesn't matter. Because the compiler is going to take C and produce whatever assembly you want. Um, so yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you expect to get out of a board that's RISC-V. Like, the reason that we don't support this chip is that it, uh, this Sci-Fi chip doesn't have USB on it. And what you can see here is that there's actually a bigger microcontroller as an interface chip to it that's running ARM. Risk is great, but unless you're a CPU designer, it's really not that interesting. And as Alvaro points out, the the vector extensions are pretty cool. Yeah. So if you're into CPU design, Risk is great. But if you just want like a system on a chip, like it's not gonna matter as much. Um, generation generation says my area of interest is implants development boards. Very hard to find in stock. Some of them half a year pre-order boards for medical implants, communication service, ISM, um, micro semi. Yeah. I think those are, they're hard to find because they largely are just like you already have, like the medical device company has a, already has a like working relationship with the place you would get the development board from. The larger chips in an M4. My STM32 eval board used a beefier microcontroller as a USB interface. Exactly. And that's kind of like the purpose of development boards is development, right? So like the chip manufacturers are making them so that you can use this really inexpensive chip once you've finished out, finished the software and you want to put it in a device. Um, Eric points out the GD32VF103. Let's take a look at that. I haven't looked at this in a while. Um, Pine likes to use it like in the Pinesel, which is a kind of dev board. I think it does have USB on it. I'm not mistaken. Oh, the small portable mini soldering iron. Interesting. Yeah, so this is what's neat about RISC-V. So RISC-V is actually just the API of the CPU. So uh, the Bumblebee core here is telling you that it's like what specific implementation of RISC-V it is, which is cool. Um, yeah, I think for a lot of dev boards, the extra MCU is like hooked up to J-Link. So does this have USB? It does. USB full speed. I might have one of these around. It would be cool to get CircuitPython on it. Although it's only 128K flash and 32K SRAM, which is 
less flash than a SAMD21 and the same amount of RAM. Um, Hamslab says a good board for multi-core is the M7 M4 is the STM32H747 disco for about $100. It's also got a touchscreen and audio in and out. Cypede has support for Arduino calling it Longduino. All right. All, I wonder if they have, let's, I haven't looked at their products in a while. Let's just see their RISC-V microcontrollers. They just have the one that took me to the same page. Yeah, they have ones that have smaller amounts of RAM. 108's nothing to slouch at. M4. Up to 3 megabytes of flash. <laughs> That's pretty cool. M4's are great, though. 560 says... I love my Pinesel, best $25 I've ever spent, $25, even though it took like three months to show up, basically a TS-100 with open source firmware. That's pretty cool. And schematics are available. Bruce S says, I use platform IO for a little RISC-V stuff I've played with. And Hamslab says the ESP32C3 is cheaper than the other ESP32 chips. All right, I am melting, so let's wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, John Franco says try getting an M4. It's true. I didn't look at that. Y you could buy it from these dev boards and not air them off. But yeah. Cool, lots of cool stuff. Thanks, folks. Uh, I'm going to go downstairs because it's really 94.3 in here. It is too hot. So let me wrap up and we'll call it a deep dive. This is why, I don't know if anybody looked at my blog post, but I said like wear sunscreen because it's going to be a hot one. Um, 202.25, wrap up. All right, everyone, that was another deep dive. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you everybody for lots of questions. It was great to uh, talk about all of that stuff. Um, thanks for, yeah, it is in Fahrenheit, Mike. Sorry. That's what my uh, thing is set up as. Uh, it's been a pleasure. If you want to support me, uh, support Adafruit by going to adafruit.com and purchasing some hardware there. They run CircuitPython. Uh, that's why they pay me, uh, because we write the software. And uh, if you wanted to pick up a macro pad, last I checked a couple minutes ago, they were available. So macro pads are great. Uh, they're a 3x4 keyboard that you can program, which is awesome. Um, if you want to chat with us outside, with me and a bunch of other folks outside of um, the, the YouTube chat or the Twitch chat, uh, join the Discord server by going to the URL adafru.it slash Discord. Uh, check that out. Um, and that's where we hang out. Um, next week should be on Friday again um, at 2 p.m. Pacific. Hopefully it won't be so hot. Uh, and we'll be able to have the windows open and getting a breeze going. Um, and hopefully we'll be stuck in something new, maybe doing Beely work, workflow work and making the, uh, 
the uh, interface is a little broader. We have some stuff that would be nice to get into the API, the workflow API. So might be doing that by this time next week. Although I have the IMX port to, to finish debugging because I say it's alpha support, but I would like it to actually at least start up on USB. So we'll look at that next week as well. Uh, and uh, with that, uh, we'll see you all next week. Have a great weekend. Stay cool for anybody uh, in an, a place where it's super warm like it is here. And uh, stay, uh, stay safe. If you're not vaccinated and can't get vaccinated, please get, please get vaccinated. Uh, and with that, I'll see you all next week. No cat to pet. He's downstairs laid out on the floor, I'm sure.